Blog Talk Radio. You will pay homage to me for the next two hours as I am on loan from God to walk you through this crazy world of sports. 917-889-8516 is our digits. We have a jam-packed show today. Big, big news breaking at the beginning of the week this week. And as unless you've been under a rock, I'm sure you've heard of this. Uh, but Roger Penske, Oil Penske Entertainment. Uh, buys the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, IndyCar, and IndyCar, I mean, IndyCar Productions. I think I have that right. But joining us in a few minutes, in a few moments, I should say, is Matthew Embry, WSPT up in South Bend, our official uh, IndyCar contributor. Going to be breaking that down. Uh, Also, some more IndyCar funny season. Uh, Notre Dame and Duke, a lot on tap. And then also... um, Steve Wilson joins us. We're going to try to dive in a little bit to see who, uh, what we know about the uh, Florida State uh, head coach situation with that and NASCAR with uh, Steve as well. I don't know. I've heard some news about Deion Sanders sniffing around. Don't really think it's going to happen, but hey, it gives us content for the show, right? And of course, college football, the second hour, our official college football contributor, Rick Riggin. We're talking college football playoffs. LSU, Bama, big, big game this weekend. And, of course, Penn State versus Minnesota. When was the last time we saw Minnesota undefeated? Oh, yeah, the uh, the uh, Florida State uh, coach search as well. And, uh, of course, the little small story out of Ohio State uh, uh, with uh, Chase Young. And we're going to dive into that. Ed Kratz and the Eagles are on a bye this week, but that's okay. We keep moving forward with the NFL talk. Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast joins us to break down the NFL. And last but not least, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. My name's Tom Marcus L. Presidente, 917-889-8516. Stick around. It's about to get good. Trying to do. Trying to 
people, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Here's to the straggly ones, the first ones, the hey, I look good with this ones, the black, brown, red, and gray ones, the itchy ones, the ones grown by dad, the ones grown for dad, the I nearly didn't do it this year ones, and the absolutely filthy ones. They all raise awareness, raise funds, start conversations, and save lives, because whatever you grow will save a bro. Sign up now at Movember.com. Welcome back to the Ballast 917-889-8516 is our digits. Let's kick things off. Joining us now, Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend, joining us. Let's break down the biggest news, probably one of the biggest sports uh, stories uh, that we've covered in a long time. Uh, Roger Pinsky or, quote, Pinsky Entertainment buys the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after 102 years. Uh, Wow. Uh, just a, a big sale and acquiring from the Hallman family. We'll see all the implications of that. We'll go uh, break down both sides of that coin, the good, the bad, the ugly, if you will. And then uh, also some more uh, IndyCar funny talk season. But let's kick things off right with a bang with this story. Uh, Matthew, how are you, sir? Interesting week. Uh, a lot of things going on. We had a few major announcements being made. Uh, we still haven't heard from uh, Foyt as to what they're going to do or Carlin at this point, but uh, things are taking up shape, and obviously uh, nothing new yet on the 
Hinchcliffe scenario, although we are hearing Ray Hall still for the third seat's a possibility, and we're even hearing Ganassi is trying to put something together, find a sponsor maybe for a fourth car, and it would probably be for James Hinchcliffe. Well, I sure hope James gets a gets a ride. I've really felt bad for him, and I hope that that, that, that comes together. Well, let's break down this Penske deal, and then we'll get into some of this other funny season stuff and maybe some Notre Dame talk as well. Uh, big, big news coming at the beginning of the week. Uh, Penske Entertainment buys IndyCar, NTT IndyCar Series, buys IndyCar Productions, and the granddaddy of them all, uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway down there at 16th and Georgetown here in Indianapolis. Uh, first of all, let's let's just let's just break this down by the numbers. Initial knee-jerk reactions are what? Well, clearly, uh, since the passing of Barry Hallman George, I think that leaves Tony George left, and I think right now the image of Tony George, even after it's since it's even though it's been almost a quarter of a century since he created the IRL, are still. I think leaves a bad taste to a lot of people's mouths. So him getting out of the way completely, I think, is in the best interest. Uh, having a name in Roger Penske that's synonymous with success and et cetera and positivity, I think, is what the sport badly needs. I think that takes the last black guy out of the sport. Uh, as long as, you know, people like Jay Fryer are still in control, I think things are going to be fine from that standpoint. And uh, obviously, there's going to be a financial stability with Indianapolis that hasn't been there for the last several years. So I think we're going to see a bunch of upgrades as far as the track and then trying to get fans back, possibly add more events to the schedule. So in that sense, I think there's more positives than negatives, but there still are yeah, a few negatives out there that uh, we're going to talk about here in just a little bit that I think that still need to be uh, taken with a sense of urgency, especially uh, when we're talking about Indy-only entries. Well, I tell you what, I watched that press conference, and, you know, Tony George uh, uh, certainly was very emotionally. Uh, it was an emotional struggle for him. I, I think that there was a lot of behind-the-scenes things that a lot, a lot of people either didn't want to recognize or didn't want to believe. And, and, and the fact is, I mean, the new generation of the Hallman family did not have the drive and the passion for that track. And as little as slight as it might be, there was a lot of improvements that need to be done at that track. And one of the biggest things I think, and I don't know if Penske Vine is going to change this or not, uh, but one of the things that's been stagnant over the last decade is the purse with IndyCar. Not gone up, uh, nothing's happened with it at all. And and by all accounts, when you compare it to other sports, uh, IndyCar purses are, are really not as much as you might think. And Outside of the Indianapolis 500, if you want to race, it might pay your tire bill. Uh, so that might be one thing that we look at. Another thing that was asked, uh, uh, Roger Pinsky during the press conference was about lights. I think that's what all of us uh, think. Of course, lights are a very, very expensive thing to put together. We talk about tradition. Remember, Pinsky is one has linked to one of the biggest traditions of, of the world, and that's the Indianapolis 500. And Pinsky has won more Indianapolis 500s than any other team. So he comes with that comes the understanding of the tradition of the Indianapolis 500. I do not think he'll ever move the Indianapolis 500 to the night point. But when he, when asked that question, he said, are we investing in lights for a night race? Are we investing in lights to see what kind of uh, revenue can be uh, uh, driven by lights? And let's think about a lot of different things that can happen with lights in a stadium. 
Uh, NASCAR can move to the night race. There's, uh, you, you have the possibility in the future of hosting a, a 24-hour race. Also, concerts. Also, you know, we have a pretty uh, well-known uh, uh, minor league soccer team here, Indy 11, which is uh, leads, leads right into the uh, MLS. I mean, uh, Major League Soccer, soccer, but um, they're looking for a field. good opportunity for that possibility. Don't rule that out either. So I think with lights comes a lot of possibilities, and I think that's one of the things that, that, that I took from Penske's answer on that. I think right now the lights, the one thing that sticks out for me, if you want to talk about track records, how about a night full-day qualifying session during that pre-qualifying when the track conditions are going to be absolutely perfect, the cool conditions, uh, that could produce a ton of speed, I would think. So sorry, I and didn't unmute my mic. I've done that. I, you know, I do it at least once a week. <laughs> I didn't unmute my my mic. No, you're absolutely right. I think the possibilities of of a of a of light at the, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway opens up a, a lot of stuff. I mean, this is a huge deal. Let's let's not underestimate the the hugeness of this and and why it's such a big deal. So let's not look at it from the other. Uh, side of it. Haters will be haters. Naysayers will be naysayers. But there's a lot of people that don't like to think that the biggest name in racing buys the biggest racing organization in the world next to Formula One. Well, obviously, there's been some concerns about people saying there is negative to him having a team and running the thing. But keep in mind, this has been going on since Car created in 1979, where the owners were the main uh, shareholders there. And, of course, when Tony George was the runner of the IRL, they had Vision Racing, and he was, of course, a co-owner with Ed Carpenter Racing. So I don't think there's a conflict in interest here where he's going to get a scenario. In fact, the fact that he's not going to be a race strategist for the season, I think, also verifies that, that he's trying to make it where it is a competitive balance. But uh, the big question in my mind is right now is, is this the sign that, we're going to have a 25-8 rule for the Indy 500 uh, for next year because with if Hinch does get his full-time ride now that Shank has committed com- to a full-time season of their own, that would give us 25 entries, which means only eight would be available. So what would this say to say if James Hinchcliffe can't find a ride and he has to qualify, he only has eight spots available, or for a Pippa Man, or say maybe uh, – Orinus VK, if he signs with Ed Carpenter Racing, has the Indy-only ride, or Dreyer and Reinbold. Uh, so that's where the issue is on my sense is, is yes, you have the full-time entries. It's a great number, but are you scaring away the one-off teams from competing, knowing that the pot for them is going to be smaller and tighter, kind of like what NASCAR has with the charter rule with the Daytona 500? Yeah, and let's 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 not forget another nasty rumor that's kind of going out there that may happen. I think this is going to be a huge thing going against tradition, so I don't see it happening. But a lot of uh, people are saying, well, now that Penske owns uh, IndyCar, they might do away with uh, Bump Day, if you will, uh, allowing and guaranteeing situations that happen, like with James Hinchcliffe and others a spot because they are an Indy 500 veteran. I don't really see that happening because Bump Day is such a tradition with the Indianapolis 500. 
but it is out there and I guess again gives us content for the show but what are your thoughts on that here's what I compromise and I made this on and I've said this several times guaranteed teams full, all the full time entries if they have one driver that is in danger of missing the show they get one spot that they can lock just one that would meet the needs for saying, oh, we're concerned about this one guy not getting in, possibly losing the sponsors. That guy's secure. Then the other drivers have to qualify from that team to get in. I think that's the only sane way to do it. You give the teams what they want. Their main drivers are being protected, but you also give the fans what they want, which is a bump day and a situation where not everybody is completely safe. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot to a lot to be said about this big, big news. Uh, and, and you may may not be a, a race fan. You may be a novice race fan. You may only watch the Indy 500, or you may just uh, sporadically uh, uh, catch it. But you just can't miss how big of a story this is. And you really can't overstate the importance of Penske buying uh, IndyCar and IMS. It's huge. I'd argue that it's the biggest news in the American open wheel racing in the last five de- decades, even bigger than the split and the reunification. I think it's bigger than that, Matthew. Rumors about selling IMS and IndyCar uh, pop up just about every year, but, there's, but that's all they've been is rumors. And I think this was a very, uh, only a very select few uh, with top security clearance even knew about this. And apparently t- uh, Tony George uh, was uh, bringing this to Penske and, I think and Pinsky was kind of like, you know, didn't know if he was really serious about it. So there was very few people that even knew about it, and it, they were very successful in not leaking this story. But I would say it's certainly uh, one of the biggest uh, stories in open wheel racing over the last decade. Well, I think in this case, I think and it's probably not the greatest of comparison, but I compare it to Art Modell on moving the Cleveland Browns to Baltimore. Uh, I think uh, Holman George right now is on the verge of financial ruin. They're not making money uh, with Clabber Baking Company. They are their stock. I think has been in the negatives for the last years, and the state of Indiana I think is pulled out as much money as they can to give them as far as loans and support. So they had to find someone that had more money to keep this going and keep it up at the top echelon. So I think reality, if you look at the scenarios, I don't think Tony George had much of an option here. You know, talking dollars and cents, that certainly is the absolute truth. Roger Penske has $1.6 billion net worth, according to Forbes, and his company brings over $20 billion in revenue and it brings in over $20 billion annually in revenue uh while indycar is just revenue like most racing series it is kept under wrap it was kept under wraps but there's a pretty good chance that it doesn't even begin to touch pinsky's uh wealth uh, and and so i we'll see what we'll see what happens uh but uh i see the positive in and the negatives and we when we look at the pros and the cons we've got, we've got to move on to more parts of the show here because we've got some other stuff to talk about funny things <laughs> I think that there's more uh, pros than there are cons. For the most part, I think there is. I think you finally got financial stability for IndyCar and the Speedway, and I think that's something that we have not had for years, and maybe that will allow for the growth that the teams and the fans want, which is increased prize money, 
uh, better conditions, et cetera. And I think we'll start to get that now that there is more money in the kitty now that Roger Penske apparently is willing to provide here. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, let's absolutely, let's see, see what happens. Well, let's uh, move on to some more funny season news. Uh, Meyer Schenk gets a full IndyCar season uh, with the Andretti deal. Uh, I don't think we've, we've uh, connected all the dots on that. Uh, bring us up to speed on that. Well, this was one ride that I think people were thinking maybe this could be where Honda would push them to drop Harvey in favor of Hinchcliffe. That's not what happened. Harvey keeps the seat. Uh, they do get support from Andretti Technologies. So technically, it's Meyershank Radi- Racing supported by Andretti Technologies, the official name of the team. So it's not a complete buyout, say, like it was with the Harding Steinbrenner team for Colton Herta, but it, it's still a, essentially a sixth Andretti team at this point. And uh, it may not be the only thing done with Andretti because now the big rumor that we're seeing, I don't know if you saw it on racer.com from Robin Miller. Yeah, Alonzo. That was my only Alonzo. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, though, how do you get Alonzo and Honda back together? That seems to be the big sticking point for them because you know Andre's not going to run a Chevrolet. Right. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> you don't. Want, you don't. Want, you definitely don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And uh, they, Honda and um, Alonzo. Uh, Kind of had a nasty breakup, but at the same time, I mean, liking it to the breakup of a supermodel. I mean, you are a supermodel, so all right, I'll take you with your faults. So, I mean, I think Honda's got to say, we may have our differences, but you are Alonzo, and you will put butts in the seats, and you can win some races. So, yeah, I think that's the big thing. And then you look at the other scenarios. Uh, the situation with Foyt right now looks like I think Tony Kanan is going to be back. The question is who's going to be his teammate. I think the day Mateus Lace, I think, is out of the question at this point. Who knows? Maybe uh, they might go possibly with the Ned Jones, a guy that's still trying to get back on track after a lousy season at Ganassi, a subpar season at ECR. Uh you're also looking possibilities with Carlin, obviously looking to fill drivers are probably going to go with the highest bidder, kind of like what coin did. I'd assuming guys like, you know, Connor Daly, uh, maybe Sage Karam, uh, Charlie Kimball could be in the mix there. And then uh, with uh, ECR, it looks like uh, despite uh, about the only thing that he did qualifying from the front row at Indy, uh, Spencer Pickett's going to be back for a third year, assuming his Auto Geek sponsorship is still in play. Uh, like I said, I think Ed Jones is not the guy at ECR. I think the guy is going to be Rhinus VK, the runner-up in the Indy Lights Championship this past year, is going to run the road course. And I think because of that, he will get the third deal. Uh, for the Indy 500. Uh, the thing is, I don't know. The only thing that could save Jones maybe for that seat is if Scuderia Corsa wants to keep Jones because they have, they're paying a part of the bill for that uh, road course only ride, the Indy 500 ride. So I'll be curious to see what Corsa has to say about that. And then, uh, like I said, uh, the scenarios right now can Ganassi or in this case, uh, Ray Hall find the six to eight million dollars to get Hinchcliffe in, and then the other big rumor that's been started by David Land, uh, 
if the thing doesn't work for, you know, Hinchcliffe at Ganassi, could that mean possibly, once again, the outside chance maybe that uh, the guy that keeps being mentioned as far as a rumor for an Indian ride with Ganassi, one and only Kurt Busch again? Oh, that'd be an interesting combination there, that's for sure. One final thing on IndyCar, the the, uh, the new um, – um, I'm sorry, the, the new air, air, air shield. Um, I, I guess one of the, the one of the last hurdles that they're trying to clear or get done is the cooling. Apparently, when they did some testing on Tuesday in the sweltering heat of Florida, uh, they realized that uh, it's not cooling on the inside of the cockpit like it should that's obviously a very important concern with indycar with with the rain with the fog up issue but i think that's one thing they'll figure out a way to fix that once they do that i think you will see the aero screen at pretty much every event uh in 2020 but i think it's similar to the issue that nascar had with the fog ups when they ran in the wet so uh i'd be curious to see how that pays out and hopefully that will be not an issue where they have to make a dramatic change just before the opener in st pete well, let's sort of move on into some Notre Dame fighting Irish against the uh, Duke Blue Devils. I know that uh, you're with WSBT, the flagship station of the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Uh, certainly, Notre Dame comes in at 6-2 again. Uh, they, they tested their limits last week, uh, really tested their limits last week. And, and you know, rumor also has it that Florida State is uh, courting uh, Coach Kelly. We'll see what comes from that. But they face Duke, which uh, – comes in at a record at a 500 i I really think that uh, notre dame should succeed well on the road but let's break down the x's and the o's notre dame fighting irish against the duke blue devils the thing is though do you first before we talk about florida state do you believe the rumors that they are actually courting Deion sanders to be their head coach I think I didn't at first, but it's becoming more and more reported and more and more talked about. Um, obviously, no official statements from uh, Florida State. Uh, I, I think it got to be smarter than that. I mean, not that Deion Sanders isn't one of the greatest football players, certainly Hall of Famer, and he knows the game of football, but I don't think he knows anything about coaching. Be interesting to see what they do there. They're just trying to go after the recruits and a popular name to bring them in kind of like what Memphis did with Amperty Hardaway. Of course, that's now blowing up their face now with the possibility of an ineligible player that he may have paid as a booster. Uh, that's at least what the NCAA is saying. So Memphis could be in some hot water, kind of like what could happen to Kansas with men's basketball. But you look at Notre Dame and Duke, this is a very game uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan. Uh, granted, the Wallace-Wade Stadium is not the loudest place in the building, but you know Duke, is looking to salvage something from a disappointing season. And uh, don't forget, they went a couple years ago, they went into Notre Dame Stadium and upset Notre Dame. So this by no means uh, is a slam dunk game. Uh, I think I have Notre Dame winning this game 31 to 21, but I would not be surprised if Duke kept this even closer than that, if not if they won the game. So by no means, this is not a guaranteed victory uh, based on the performances of Notre Dame over the last few weeks. Well, that's what I'm going to say. I mean, Notre Dame has won games. They've been ugly wins, and they're still like W in the column. But, man. Okay, real quickly, we got to get into some NASCAR talk here going on the other side of the break. But a uh, big, big game tonight, LSU and Bama. What are your thoughts, sir? 
The question I think right now is Tua Tagovailoa at 100%. If he is, Alabama wins this game, no problem. But uh, if they have to go in a different route or he struggles, uh, LSU, I would not be surprised, will be there. But I just don't think with the game being in Tuscaloosa that LSU uh, is going to be able to find a way to get past Alabama tonight. Well, I think it's going to be a big game of all kinds of proportions. And uh, certainly, if you'd love to tailgate there, this would be a good time for you to uh, to tailgate after the game because the president's going to be there. So you ain't going to go anywhere fast. That's for sure. Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend, uh, joins us. Uh, Matthew, where can people find your work in Masterpiece, sir? M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-R-Y. And, of course, uh, we have a lot of stuff on uh, WSBT today, starting with Notre Dame basketball 1140 when they uh, host Robert Morris in their men's basketball season or second home game of the season. And then uh, we got Notre Dame stuff. Uh, Brian Kelly re-air joined in progress around 2.30. Then game day, uh, we have our A-team there and a couple other uh, interesting uh, people included. Let me think if I can remember off the top of my head who we had. Uh, Escaping me right now. I don't have the information in front of me here. But uh, we have a big guest right away. And then we have uh, our main team, uh, Tom Noy, Dr. Brian Radigan, to update us on the injury situation because there's obviously a few players on the offensive line, question marks on whether or not they'll be back or not. It's obviously Robert Hainsey, Tommy Kramer come to mind. And then, of course, uh, game day sports beat from 4 to 6.30, and then we join IMG coverage at 6.30, and then we close it out with the official Notre Dame football postgame show after the game and hopefully a Notre Dame victory tonight. Yep, sounds like a full day. Matthew, uh, go Irish, and we'll talk with you soon. Thanks for uh, uh, jumping on and talking with us a little bit about IndyCar. Anytime, Tom, and hopefully we'll have some new information coming next week. Yeah, Absolutely. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down this big, big news story that happened this week. And we're going to get uh, some thoughts about that on the other side with uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest and also the NASCAR playoffs. We're going to get his thoughts on Florida State as well, just because. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about it. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Here's to the straggly ones, the first ones. Hey, I look good with this ones. The black, brown, red, and gray ones. The itchy ones. The ones grown by dad. The ones grown for dad. The I nearly didn't do it this year ones. And the absolutely filthy ones. They all raise awareness, raise funds, start conversations, and save lives. Because whatever you grow will save a bro. Sign up now at Movember.com. All right, and welcome back to Balance. 30 minutes in the can. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, jumping on and talking about the biggest news in open wheel racing I think we've seen in decades. At least that's my opinion. Uh, and, uh, and that's, uh, Ro- uh, well, we say Roger Pinsky. Well, let's, let's, be, let's be legal and technical about it. It was Pinsky Entertainment. It just happens to be a company that Roger Pinsky owns uh, by uh, IndyCar, IndyCar Productions, and the granddaddy of them all, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But joining us now, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Steve, uh, happy Saturday to you. Yeah, uh, good morning. Good morning. Steve Wilson, <laughs> our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, I, I, I don't know which, which is more on your mind, Deion Sanders being the next uh, Florida State that of course, it's not official. I, I I think that's something to talk about. As I as I mentioned in the last uh, segment, it gives us some content. I know you're a big Florida State fan. That's why I'm bringing you into this conversation. But what are your thoughts? Who do you got? Who who does the fans want as the coach, next head coach of the Florida State Seminoles? Um, I I think they're just looking for somebody that can turn this team around. I know that uh, Willie Tiger gave. Gave it his all, gave it the best shot that he could have. Um, I, I've I've heard that either the Stoop brothers might be coming up for this. Deion Sanders is uh, maybe in the running for this thing. Uh, um, I, I I don't know. There's uh, I think they've got a couple different a couple different ones on their mind at this point. Uh, right now they've got Odell Haggins, which has been there for about twenty six, twenty seven years uh, in various different forms and. He's very highly respected there. Uh, he won the two uh, the two games, the the regular season game and the, the uh, uh, postseason uh, uh, game uh, the year that uh, uh, well, 
What was his name? The guy that just up and left. I don't know. I don't want to even call his name anymore. But anyway. Anyways, yeah. I I I think Odell will do good for right now. He's a good villain. He's uh he's uh he was with the Seminoles and played for the Seminoles and went out and and was in the NFL and then has been in the coaching staff for 26 years. I think he's a good fit in for right now until they find a more permanent replacement. Uh, maybe he'll fill it, finish the season out, and we'll have a new coach next year, or maybe we'll have a coach by the end of the year. Who knows? We'll, we'll have to see. Well, I think you guys will do well on the road against Boston College, so uh, all's going to be good in Seminole land uh, soon. This too shall pass. But let's, uh, you know, we were talking about in the last segment. I certainly, de- I would uh, uh, be derelict in my duties. If I didn't include you into this conversation, you texted me and you're like, this just happened. I'm like, I know I literally just saw this. And this was probably one of the best kept secrets in, in, in history, if you will, but certainly one of the biggest uh, news in sports and, and definitely in open wheel racing. And that's uh, uh, Penske Entertainment buys IMS, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, IndyCar, NTT, IndyCar Series, and um, buys uh, IndyCar Productions. Those are three mammoth uh, acquisitions alone on standalone. When you combine the three of them, this is big, big news. And so we talked the X's and the O's and the, and the, and the pros and the cons in the last uh, segment, but I certainly want to get your thoughts on this and break this down and editor in chief of Speedway Digest and, and, and Certainly, uh, NASCAR runs there at IMS. Uh, let's let's just get your thoughts on what you thought about this when when it all came down. Well, for me, I thought that it was kind of interesting that things have kind of come full circle once more. And sometimes it's funny in motorsports that this will happen. If a lot of people may not remember, but years ago, the Penske Penske was a track owner and a track builder in NASCAR himself. He owned Michigan, he owned it, uh, um, Auto Club Speedway out in California, he owned Rockingham, and, and his properties were sold off to uh, ISC, who then bought them in and uh, expanded their portfolio. So it's not the first time that Penske has been in the racetrack business at all. It's not anything that's new for him. And this has kind of come full circle, but we're now seeing Roger Penske, who has just owned figuratively speaking Indianapolis Motor Speedway over the years in the Indy 500 um, is now the physical owner of it the one thing that I did kind of find is is that I know a lot of people said after Mary Holman um, passed away that the George family was going to keep this hang on to it for a while hang on to it keep it going but <clears throat> if a lot of people didn't realize it's not long after Mary died, the George family started selling off other properties unrelated to the to the track itself or to IndyCar itself. So um, I kind of saw it as like a, um, you know, they, they thought that there was just too much. I know that there was four of them, like a brother and three sisters that were left that would have taken all of this stuff over. But I kind of saw, as you see a lot of things, as a lot of things, and I think it's so indicative that, you know, the first generation buys it, the second generation builds it, and the third generation sells it. So uh, I think we, we've kind of seen that here. And, um, 
you know, I don't know their thought process behind it, so I'm not going to try and get into that. But I did kind of see that when they started getting rid of Clabber Girl and they got rid of some of their other properties, unrelated to the truck and unrelated to to the to the series itself, uh, I just kind of saw it as a sign that maybe the George family's time in Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the IndyCar series is coming to a close. Now I know Tony is may take on a uh, a minor minor role or minor ownership role into this new formation of the Penske uh, the Penske Group, the Penske Corporation that will bring all this stuff in. So I'm sure that they'll have some kind of say into it some way or another. But um, for now, it's it's Roger Penske's Roger Penske's show to run. Well, I think there's a lot of stuff to break down here, but Penske's smart. Smart businessman, a lot of a lot of pros, a lot of cons. I think there's more pros than than there are cons. Uh, I think he'll hold on to to Mark Miles. I think he'll hold on to Deck Bowles. Um, I think he he he. You won't see a lot of uh, noticeable changes right away. Uh, he he'll get his team put in there and put in place, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, a lot of questions were asked at the press conference. One of the biggest ones being lights, and his answer was, "Are we putting lights in there to run a night race? Are we putting lights in there for revenue to the track?" Which is kind of alluded to what I think might be on the roadmap, and that is that there will be lights. It's an extremely expensive uh, thing to do, but he's also uh, holds true the tradition of the Indianapolis 500. So I don't ever see the Indianapolis 500 going at night unless it's just some, some sort of freaky thing. Now it does allow for weather and that sort of things. Uh, but uh, under a normal circumstance, it won't be planned as a night race. Uh, of course, I, I did also on the flip side of it, I definitely see NASCAR moving tonight. Uh, and there might even be the possibility that that NASCAR moves away from IMS in, in, in the coming years if they can't get butts in the seats. And that's just a struggle I think that all series has. But all, Lights also provides uh, avenues for concerts. And we've got a soccer team here in town, a minor league soccer team called the Indy 11, who's been courted in different stadiums. This could be a good opportunity for them if they have – Lights, you would need lights to have a soccer stadium. There would be something unique. Uh, but I see, I, I see just a lot of different avenues and potential with lights. So I, his answer was, do you want to have lights for a night race or do you, you want lights to generate revenue for the track? And I think that just depends on who you ask. But I think if you're to read into the tea leaves to that answer, uh, he gave you the answer, there will be lights. Now, it's not on the roadmap. We don't know when that's going to happen. I certainly, if I was to read into what he said and answer that question, I would say that's absolutely positively uh, the the case. But so we'll be monitoring it for sure. Steve Wilson, editor in chief, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Let's get into some NASCAR. The boys are out in the desert today. We're in the playoffs. We could break each series down, but uh, I want to make sure we have time for. So we'll we'll. Instead of starting with the trucks, we'll go there last if we've got time. But let's go with the Xfinity Series. Uh, certainly uh, today, I believe it's today. Uh, and you've got Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, Kyle Reddick, and Justin Allgaier, all above the line in the playoffs. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't see much movement into it. I mean, if somebody wants to make a uh, – 
you know, kind of a bonsai move there from, uh, you know, Chase Briscoe or Michael Lynette or something like that. Uh, aside from a mechanical major or something like that, uh, I think we've almost pretty much have our um, our our four set to go into Homestead next week. And Christopher Bell and Cole Custer and Tyler Reddick are just the same old story that we heard last year, the big three in the Xfinity series with those guys. And here they are once again. They're pretty much locked themselves in, ready to go next week to, uh, um, you know, Homestead. And all three of them are going to be very competitive. They're going to be competitive this week. They're going to be competitive next week. All three of them uh, can gain as many points as they want this weekend, but it doesn't mean anything when it comes to next week. Um, it's the first cross the line. So uh, I think we'll see them be competitive, but also, um, you know, I've, in the truck race last night um, where there was a little bit more movement uh, around the bottom in the uh, three, four, five area of drivers that had the potential to get in. Um, you know, we, we don't necessarily have as much here to, to play with as we have um, in the truck series last night with just single-digit points. Right now we've got uh, almost a 20-point spread um, between Justin Allgaier and Chase Briscoe at this point. So, you know, there'll have to be some things that are going to have to happen today for these guys. Uh, and aside from, you know, one of those bonsai moves from – you know, again, like I said, Briscoe or Annette or somebody like that to, to win the race. Uh, I think we pretty much uh, locked ourselves into Homestead for next week. All right, let's move on over to the Monster Energy Series. I, you just talked about it, pretty much got it locked in, but we got Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Joey Logano uh, all in the top four above the line. No surprises there. Uh, usual suspects, as you mentioned. Um uh, if there's a surprise anywhere there, it's Martin Truex Jr. to be in first place uh, after his kind of a rocky start to the season. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, he came over, but I think that's – and I think we see that a lot of times when drivers move and we don't necessarily expect them to come into a new team and and, and perform at the top of their game like they do, were doing with their old team. Now, since then, since his Rocky started in the season, he's won seven races this year. So he's he's, he's uh, well well on his way uh, at Joe Gibbs Racing, and I don't uh, I think after that acclimation period that um, it, it's now he's been kicked his thing into overdrive, and we've uh, we've obviously seen it. Him and Harvick um, have virtued by their victories at Martinsville in Texas. Have locked themselves in going into Homestead next week. Uh, you know, the, Joe Logano seems to be the one in danger, along with uh, Kyle Busch. You know, those two just have just a couple points spread between them. And then through the remainder of it, I know, I know Elliot, Elliot is out at this point, um, but he would have to win today. He doesn't have a choice, but um, Blaney Larson, maybe even Hamlin uh, yet again. Uh, these are drivers that are all going to be swapping points. Steve points are going to matter throughout the race for these guys. Um, and, and Kyle Busch has won at Phoenix about three three times prior to, to coming into this weekend. So um, if he's going to win, um, maybe he'll lock himself in this weekend. He doesn't really have to worry about this. But I think we could see some shifting and some moving in that direction just depending on um, what some of these drivers are willing to do to get it, get themselves into the championship where, championship race. 
Well, you talk about being locked in. I mean, we saw in the, in the truck, in the truck series, if you will, Preston locks uh, into the championship four with Phoenix uh, trucks victory, uh, driving the Chevy, uh, Chevy dominating in the, in the Gander outdoors truck series, uh, three out of the top four, all Chevys. Uh, and of course we've got Preston, Ross Chastain, Brett Moffitt and Matt Crafton in the truck series. And Crafton is, uh, the only Ford in the field, if you will. Uh, but, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on the truck series in the in the, in the uh, top four there uh, going into uh, Homestead? Uh, you know, I think it's been pretty interesting that we've seen Ross Chastain, which is a driver that he came into the season he wasn't he was running full time in all three series. Uh, he ran every single race, and then he he won a race in the truck series. So. He looks at this and says, "Well, maybe I should focus on on running for the champ- truck series series championship." And from there, it was just kind of a rocky road where he came back, he won. Uh, NASCAR took that took that away on a post race inspection failure, and then just came back the very next week after that and won again. And with by virtue of that win he would have been put into the playoffs, unfortunately, uh, because of where he sat at in the points. Um, he wasn't there yet. He he needed to get above that 30-point marker line. So he he came back, he battled back, and he's won several more times throughout the season. And I know a lot of people said, well, oh, we're going to see him. That's, that's not going to be a problem. We're going to see him when he gets to, uh, gets to homestead. That's no big deal. No big deal there. Uh, and I was kind of like, well, that's interesting. That's interesting that you know we're seeing Ross Chastain. And I know how good of a driver that Ross Chastain is. It's it's not that you know uh, he's lacking abilities because I think he's one of the very most underrated drivers out there. Um, he's had to take equipment that has not necessarily been um, the the top of its game by any means. And um, he's outperformed it almost every single time. And I think that by what he's done is really shown that with grit and determination that a driver can take equipment that is not necessarily built to run as fast or in the positions that was being put in and change, change your stars. I mean, really, he, that's what he's done, is that he's gone from a driver struggling in the Xfinity Series to a driver that's on the cusp of maybe winning a championship in, in, in the Truck Series, and he's got a good, solid, quality ride to move back into the Xfinity Series next year, that maybe he'll chase for that championship next year. So I think it's been interesting to watch his ride this year and uh, see his progression through uh, the ranks. And it, wherever he finishes out in Homestead, I, I think honestly he's got a lot to be proud of just based on what he's done this year because he can show that you can change, um, you can change uh, uh, your stars in NASCAR, um, and sometimes that's really uh, it's a really difficult task to do is go from a driver that is running. Um, you know, uh, not necessarily the best equipment in the world to running championship style equipment in just a matter of a couple of years. 
Talking with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official uh, NASCAR contributor. Well, let's look at Phoenix, uh, the track, uh, the makeup of the track, and, and how teams prepare for a win out in the desert in Arizona. Well, they're, they're going to have a transitional um, deal come tomorrow night. They're going to start this thing in the sun, end it under nighttime, and NASCAR and the track has gone out there and added an, an additional groove a wider groove of the PGA one into it. Uh, it's about as wide as what we saw at Texas last week. I know a lot of truck drivers didn't get into it last night. They all tried to run around the bottom real uh, below the yellow line on the apron. And, um, you know, I, I, I think we're going to see the same thing. I think after last week at Texas, I think these drivers are going to be leery to try and move to the outside of the track where this uh, PGA one has been put down at. I think we'll see a lot of these drivers running right at the bottom at that yellow line or below the yellow line because there's no yellow line rule there. They're going to cut the dog leg like we saw several times last night with our four, five, and six wide throughout there. Um, but, you know, that can be treacherous at the same time, too, with the transition that goes from the banking into the flat surface there at the runoff and then back up onto the banking. So, We've seen drivers that don't execute that necessarily well, and they'll collect in a few other drivers, and you know that's that's kind of a danger area sometimes, especially for drivers that have nothing to lose. Um, and I know Harvick and Truex, they don't really have anything to lose themselves because they're locked in the Homestead. But you know, I, I think they're they're still going to go out there and they still want to get that win, that one last win of the season before they get to the championship. So. It's, it'll be a fun race, I think, tomorrow afternoon at, at uh, ISM Raceway. And we'll certainly uh, uh, keep our eyes on that and what's happening. You know, uh, let's talk a little bit about a couple drivers here while we just got a few more minutes here. Chase Elliott, uh, I like this guy, uh, this driver, this son of Bill Elliott, uh, has got a lot of good makings of being a very, very good driver and a championship driver in the future. Are we a little disappointed that he did not make the cut this year? Well, uh, that team has struggled, um, and they've struggled a lot here late in the season. Um, Some of it is not due to their fault. There's been a lot of mechanical issues that have broken on that car. I mean, you just look back to just a couple of weeks ago at Martinsville. They had an engine problem. They start the race. They don't get... 20 laps or something in and they have an axle break on to I mean it puts them in pretty much just like a no win situation then they go to Texas next, last week and they get into that PJ1 stuff and wreck the car so it's been it's been tough for them this late in the season and this is where I think you see uh, rookie driver I mean um, the rookie drivers and, and the veteran drivers outperform one another because you know these these the rookie drivers there's a lot of pressure on them and Chase Elliott isn't a rookie driver he's been in in the series for a couple of years but you know there's still some learning that comes along with this and the pressure mounts the farther you go into this playoff and when you see your Martin Truexes and your Kevin Harvick's and your Kyle Bushes of the world um, that have done this for you know, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen years, whatever the case may be, in their case, in, in their particular case, um, it it's just not being going out there running fast. It's not just going out there winning races. There's a lot of mental pressure that comes along with this, 
and sometimes just stupid mistakes will will kill your chances of moving on and um you know there's just been a lot of things with Chase Elliott and that team that has been unfortunate for them and they're they're going to have to learn from them these are all learning mistakes these are all things that they can take away and come back next year and the year after and year after and say well I did this and I did that we need to learn from it and that's how we're going to move on you know this is the time of year we look back to the seasons on the highs and the lows and the and you know we a lot of times things just in the matter of business and being in racing things happen uh, I think, and maybe it's just me, it just feels like that we saw a lot of teams making executive decisions about drivers, about what's happening with the future of their teams. Uh, you know, we, we think about Steinhaus Jr. We think about other drivers that were uh, named drivers that were dropped. Uh, we also think about um, drivers that might be coming to the end of their career and what a disappointing loss and, and for uh, disappointing time for Jimmy Johnson here in Indianapolis as he had the playoffs in his grasp and just unfortunate situation happened to keep him that from happening. Uh, just a lot of disappointments. So we wonder, is Jimmy Johnson going to be around probably for another year or so, but we don't know past that point. I know that the sponsor ally uh, bank uh, continue uh, renewed their sponsorship, which is good, but I don't know I just kind of feel like Jimmy Johnson might be on, on his way out. Just a lot of disappointments. And then we're seeing teams making some tight uh, decisions, not only in, in NASCAR, but in IndyCar, as we saw with James Hinchcliffe as well. So uh, teams are, are uh, um, tightening the, the purse strings, if you will. It's getting harder and harder to get sponsorships. Uh, is there a fix? I don't know. I mean, but that would be the question that we ask at the end of the year. Well, I think if you look at what F1 and FIA is doing with mandatory, um, you know, budgets that they're that they're looking at budget caps, just like we have in the NFL or MLB or any other stick and ball sport, um, I kind of wonder whether it's totally enforceable or not, um, and that's a question for another day, to be honest with you. But NASCAR has been looking at ways to reduce all kinds of things, the the cost of competition. But unfortunately, racing is an expensive sport. Racing is a sport where the person with the most money and, and the best engineers and the best cars is going to win every single week. And... You know, you take a look at the engine rolls in the truck series, for example. They all switched over to a common template um, engine built by Elmore, which again is another Penske property. So we're we're talking about how Penske is involved in some of the aspects of the sport. But Elmore has, um, you know, they're now the common engine supplier in the series, and um, I think there's arguments for it. And then you look back at what happened. Vegas with so many engine failures there's an argument against it um, as far as it relates to, to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and some of the other drivers um, Ricky's been a four guy all, all his life, he's been at Roush all his life but he just hasn't performed that well, um, I'm sure he did great on some of the, the um, restricted play tracks but 
You know, we see a lot of drivers that don't perform well week in and week out. Um, he performed well in the Xfinity series. He was back-to-back champions in that series. That just seemed like he struggled a little bit, and the whole time that he was in cough, and there's just a lot of mistakes, and you know, these are mistakes that again just happened over and over again. Didn't seem to learn from them, and while he's a good driver, it just seems like there was just no stability there. That you know, he would have him make a mistake and wouldn't necessarily be able to move on from it, but. You know, Chris Buescher is going to take over for him in that car next year, and Ricky Stenhouse is going to take over for Chris Buescher in his old car next year. So they're just making a driver swap on two yeah. different teams at two different manufacturers. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Thank you for uh, uh, jumping on, talking some Roger Penske IndyCar uh, with us, uh, also some NASCAR with us. Uh, Steve, uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. Absolutely. Steve, have yourself a good race weekend. we got one left, and we're down in, in Homestead. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Take care. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Uh, also, a little-known fact about him is that he's a big Florida State fan, which is a perfect segue into the conversation that we're going to be having in the next hour, amongst other big stories. Uh, <laughs> no, Deion Sanders is not going to Florida State, but people are talking about it. Like I said, it gives us content, right? My name is John Mark Rochelle, President Say 917-889-8516. Right around the corner on the other side is Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor. It's time to kick off college football Saturday. Double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and 
makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Here's to the straggly ones. The first ones. The, hey, I look good with this ones. The black, brown, red, and gray ones. The itchy ones. The ones grown by dad. The ones grown for dad. The I nearly didn't do it this year ones. And the absolutely filthy ones. They all raise awareness, raise funds, start conversations, and save lives. Because whatever you grow will save a bro. Sign up now at Movember.com. Welcome back to The Balance. One hour in the can. My name's Tom Mark with El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits. Thank you, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor, breaking down the biggest news in American open-wheel racing in decades, if not in the entire sports world. Even if you're not a race fan, this story was huge. It was mammoth. Uh, uh, Penske Entertainment, owned by Roger Penske, owns, uh, bought uh, IndyCar Series, the NTT IndyCar Series, uh, IndyCar Productions, and the granddaddy of them all, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, here, located here in Indianapolis. So uh, thank you, to Matthew, for helping us break down that big story. Also breaking down the X's and O's of Notre Dame and Duke. We're going to get into that in just a minute here with Rick Riggin our official college football contributor. Also in the last segment, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. We continue to talk about Penske and, of course, the NASCAR playoffs. One week left, and then that's today in Phoenix, and then then they're down in Homestead, and we'll see who's going to be the champion. But now joining us now to help us break down uh, some big stories in the world of college football, the one, the only, Rick Riggin. How is you, sir? Uh, pretty good. I have a question to that whole Roger Penske deal. You know, I'm not a race guy, so I don't know if that's good or bad for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or IndyCar at all. But how much money was that deal for? How much money does Roger Penske just have in his pocket to buy an IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. probably the most popular speedway in the world? Yeah. Um, we have not seen the final figures. I've heard tales somewhere between 2 and $3 billion. So yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I would think it'd be north of that even. Well, his company has a net worth of twenty billion dollars. His personal net worth is six billion, and his investor reach, if you will, reaches out out to a hundred billion. So he has the cash to make it happen. We haven't seen the final figures. That's kind of been tight lipped. Uh, the whole story about that was tight lipped and. I think it's going to be good for IMS. I think there's a lot of changes. We won't see anything like right away, but I think that we will see lights will open up opportunities for concerts and different events to make it a uh, a venue more than just two events a year, if you will. So we'll we'll see. I think it's going to be good for Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, he's stepping down from the pit box and giving a day to day. Day-to-day operations. I, 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 just, I, I just keep thinking to myself, you know, like, you know what, I'm, 
I just wake up out of bed. You know what I want to do today? I think I just want to buy the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> <laughs> this has been in the works or it's been worked for a while, but yeah, he has the ability to hey, you know, what am I gonna order on Amazon today? Oh yeah, an Indianapolis Motor Speedway. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Chase Young should have went to him for a loan. Da 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 Hey-oh! Oh, well, he has even a much bigger loan uh, yeah, than the one he took out. Well, let's uh, we're going to get into that story here. I certainly got a lot on tap today uh, with you, uh, and I wanted to have uh, uh, Adam Jividen on, but he's got some stuff going on with his son. Couldn't make it, uh, but we got a, we got a, some, uh, of course the college football playoff rankings. That's it's, it's just gives us content. I keep going back to that because a lot of things, things don't mean anything, but it gives us uh, things to talk about. And of course, what everybody's talking about is LSU and Bama. You talk about games with uh, that that matter. That game certainly matters. Um, in Penn State and Minnesota, I want to get into the, when we get into Big Ten talk. I mean, when was the last time we saw Minnesota undefeated? And, and then of course we got IU, who's at seven wins. I mean, for IU football, that's that's pretty pretty mammoth. Uh, we'll see what happens, uh, you know, in, in, in the com- coming few weeks. And, and, yeah, we've been kind of joking about it, but Deion Sanders is being talked about. I don't know how serious it is, but at, at first I thought it was just uh, Twitter doing what Twitter does and stirring up the world. Uh, but now I'm seeing more legitimate news outlets sort of reporting that, that they are at least having conversations. Now, you and I both probably logically know in our brain that they won't uh, end in Deion Sanders, but maybe them talking to Deion Sanders gives you an indication of how desperate they are to get things turned around, and maybe they think a name like Deion Sanders – I don't know. He's a, he is a hall – I mean, we, we don't we, – we say he doesn't know anything about coaching because we've never seen him coach, and we, we, we know Deion Sanders as the way we know him, but – Maybe there's a coaching side to him. We don't, we, we don't know, so we'll get into to that conversation. Well, let's uh, start from the top here. Uh, the big, one of the biggest stories coming out of Ohio State. Uh, depending on where you are on the fence with this, I mean, going, we, could, we could go deep into this as far as uh, students being able to make money, this, that, and the other. But on the surface level, let's just break down the X's and the O's, the pros and the cons. Uh, Chase Young – uh, in trouble with the NCAA, uh, suspended indefinitely uh, for taking out a loan and family members. So, Rick, uh, since you're our official college football contributor, uh, bring us up to speed on what this story is and in, in uh, where we're at with it now. Well, originally I was like, holy crap, here we go. I mean, this is their best player. It's the best player in college football. Let's, let's sure. not mistake that. Chase Young is – the best and most dominant player in college football. If he was an offensive player, he'd be 10 times the front runner for the Heisman. But I think he's just behind Joe Burrow only because he's a, he's a defensive end, but he should win the Heisman. Now sitting out against Maryland this week might hurt that chance. Uh, This thing yesterday, when it kind of blew up, I was like, Oh boy, here we go. And the timing is, is just ridiculous because this happened last year. And now here Ohio state is that rank number one in the country. Uh, probably going to go to the national championship game, and Chase Young could possibly be the uh, first defensive player, anyway, since Charles Woodson to win the win the Heisman. And now this comes out. You know, the time is impeccable, right, Tom? Yeah, and that was the other part of this story. <laughs> if we're going to allow college athletes to make money, 
Where, where, where's the foul here? I mean, I guess you maybe got to look at what did he use the money for? What was the loan for? Well, and the term loan means that there's some sort of understanding that there'll be something paid back. So is he really getting – is he really creating a violation? I, I don't know. I, I did get a text from Adam, and he did tell me this, and, uh, and I'll read the text, and I quote, stand by. Stand by. I got I to gotta find it. I had it up. Well, it's it, so, it, 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 that air here. Now, Chase Young did take out a small loan, and he did pay back that money already, and this happened last year. Can you hear year. me? So I, 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 yeah, I hear you. I don't see the benefit, and I don't see where the infraction is. So, Okay. I, I, you said something about dead air, so I wanted to make sure you could hear, hear me. Okay. Uh, so here from, from uh, Adam, his text was, Joe Clapp has confirmed that it was not an agent and a loan that was paid back. So apparently maybe this didn't right. even – Happened the way NCAA saying it's happened. Go ahead. Well, it didn't happen the way Twitter broke the news that happened. This no, was a family friend. Seriously. That, <laughs> yeah. This was a family friend uh, that I guess he's known since before he went to Ohio State that he got the loan from. And I guess the, originally Twitter was saying this was from an agent giving him money for plane tickets for his family to fly out to the Rose Bowl last year to watch them play in the Rose Bowl. But that's not the case. This was just, uh, I guess he's ha- having some hard times last year with living expenses and everything. This was a small loan from a family friend, and he already paid that loan back. And I, I don't see where the-, the problem is here, but he's at least going to miss this game. This is all in the NCAA's hands here now. Does the NCAA still want to drop the hammer of the law, you know, because I guess they're still the authoritative figure here and make an example, or are they just going to let Chase Young – Miss this game and play the rest of the year, which is what they should do. They shouldn't even – he shouldn't have to miss this game for that. But it's not as big of a story now as it looked like it was yesterday when the story broke. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. But he, he, here's the, the thing. I see two parts to this. Again, I go back to the word loan. I use it to its most literal thing. If I get a car loan, that means I pay it back. I get a house loan, I pay it back. If you loan me a hundred bucks, I don't pay you back. You, you, you understand the definition? I'm just kidding. <laughs> definition of loan means that the understanding is going to be paid back. But on on the other side of it, let's look at Ohio State. Your best player. You're playing in the Rose Bowl, one of the biggest bowl games of the year, and you can't put a, a college star's family on a plane and fly them to California. You got your own plane. No, that, I mean, that goes against NCAA rules. That That is improper benefits for student-athletes. So, yeah, that, that's the NCAA rules. Uh, seriously, Tom, this is – teams can provide peanut butter and bread in the locker room, but if they also provide jelly, that's an improper benefit. That, that, that's or, serious. Or you can have, look that up. Go, that, that is a serious infraction. It really is. It's dumb. It's stupid. Let me ask you this. If if I'm an alumni of Ohio State, let's just say I got a wind that some that a college player's family did not have the money to go out to California and watch his kids play in, in, in the Rose Bowl. I'm an alumni, I'm a private business guy, I'm doing my thing. I got wind of this. I wanna I wanna I wanna do something nice for this guy. Here are some plane tickets for the family, tickets to the game, go enjoy. Is that a violation? Yes. 
I don't know why. To me, it's not, but to the NCAA, it is. So if you're a private – so I'm an IU alumni. Let's say I'm an IU alumni. I'm a private uh, citizen. But you would be considered an OSU booster if you, do, if you did something like that. Huh. All right. The the crazy it's it's so ridiculous. It's all just made for the NCA can make money off these athletes. They get nothing, and the NCA can make all the money they want off of it. That's really what the uh, rules are designed for. Well, I certainly agree that they should make money off their namesakes. Now, here's the other thing: a lot of people were up in arms about. No, we don't want that either. Well, you gotta you gotta take the bitter with the sweet. When I get my check. On my payday, and I get a pay stub. Well, I don't actually get a pay stub anymore, but it's all online, whatever. Uh, I can look at my pay stub, and I see that there's certain deductions, and one of those deductions is payroll tax because I have to pay taxes. Well, if they're able to make money on their namesakes or able to get a job or whatever, they're going to have to pay taxes. A lot of people think, no, that's not, that's not what we want. We just want free money, and let's just let them – that we should be able to make millions of dollars off of our namesake but never pay a dime of taxes. Don't agree with that at all. If you want to get paid, pay the taxes. Yeah, well, that's where they can run into trouble you know, for tax evasion or whatever the, the law would be because, yeah, when you turn 18 yeah, and you start getting paid, if you do something and the company you work for doesn't, it's not every company takes taxes out. Some, some companies put that on you. So you have to hold back a certain percentage of your money. Every year, right? So uh, that's going to fall on them. So, yeah, they can make the money, but they're going to be responsible for figuring out how much tax is owed on money they make. So, part of the point of this equation, they felt like, well, most of these kids aren't even 18 years old yet. And some of these kids could make millions of dollars off their namesake. They don't know how to handle that kind of money. Uh, that's why they have an agent. That's why that's when they get into the pros. Of course, once they get into the pros, they still don't know how to handle that kind of money, and we see it get jacked up all the time. But the, the saga goes on. But he, at, the, at this point, as the way we understand it now, he's suspended indefinitely. Do we look at that being changed to maybe the rest of the season or what? I think it's probably going to be one or two games. Uh, it would shock me. I think they play Penn State, which is a huge game next weekend. It wouldn't shock me if he's back to that Penn State game because I don't see this being a big deal. It was a loan. He paid back the loan. It's not a benefit. It, I don't see anything illegal here, uh, but I'm not an inside guy either. But uh, to me, it, it's it was a loan. He paid it back. You know, it, it happened over a year ago now or close to a year ago. So uh, I just see him sitting out this Maryland game and being back next week, but one or two games is all I, I, I could see happening here. Yeah, absolutely. And unless they want to go all hardcore and say, uh, you can't play in the postseason. <laughs> I don't see I don't see NCAA yeah, be, doing that. <laughs> be ridiculous. All right, well let's let's move on. You know, we were we were joking a little bit about this, but let's have a serious conversation. Florida State Seminoles needs a coach. Uh rumor has it. And it's more than just Twitter at this point. Uh, like I said, when I first heard the story, it was kind of like a Twitter thing. All right, let's let's have fun with it. Let's see what happens. But you got some pretty serious outlets. Fox Sports talking about it. ESPN's talking about it. Colin Cowherd's talking about it. Kurt is, is talking about it. Clay Travis is talking about it. Clay Travis said in a tweet, 
something about he needs to go oh Boaz. I'll have to find the tweet. But so yeah, there's more than just Twitter talking about it. Well, look, Florida State is one of the blue blood programs of college football. And you can't just take one of those type elite programs and hand it over to somebody who's never coached before, right? I don't care if it is Deion Sanders. He's a superstar. He might be the best, the biggest name ever to play for Florida State. I mean, I mean, it's Charlie Ward, not nearly the name. There's a, they have tons of superstars at Florida State. He might be the biggest one. But you just can't turn the program over like that uh, to, to somebody who's never coached. If you could, how come Bo Jackson's never coached at Auburn? How come Joe Montana's never coached at Notre Dame? Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. It's fun to talk about. Maybe there's some substance behind it talking to him. But really, I think that job comes down to two guys. Neither one of them, like I, told, I texted you yesterday, neither one is named Dion or Urban Meyer. <laughs> I agree with the uh, Dion part. Urban Meyer, there could be some argument about that. All right, go back to Chase Young. I was trying to pull up uh, uh, Clay's uh, tweet, Clay Travis, one of my idols in the world. But he said, uh, if I were Chase Young, I would pull a Nick Boza. If I'm going to be significantly investigated by the NCAA, what's the value of playing November? All he can do is injure himself. He's going to be in the top five, five pick anyway. It makes no sense for him to continue. If you're, if you're Chase from? Young, Clay Travis. Yeah, that's right. Uh, here's the thing. You know, uh, the Dolphins actually won a game, and everybody thinks they're tanking for Tua. Uh, the Bengals could be doing the same thing. Uh, here, here's the deal with these NFL teams. If Chase Young decides not to play another game for Ohio State, he's still going to be the number one draft pick. Uh, any team who does not take Chase Young, number one, whoever gets the first-round draft pick, and they take two over Chase Young, no longer deserves to be in the NFL, period. Uh, Chase Young is one of those dynamic players that can change games uh, already. Uh, he is a Joey Bosa type and a Nick Bosa type. Uh, he's probably even better than both of them. He, he's a guy that you game plan around the impact that he'll have in the NFL. So any team in the NFL does not take J.C. Young number one, even if he plays another snap this year in college football, he will still be the number one draft pick. And if somebody doesn't take him number one, then that NFL team no longer deserves to be an NFL team. So, yeah, I think Clay Travis is right. Uh, maybe he should just sit out, not risk getting injured. It happened to Jalen Smith with uh, Notre Dame a couple years ago, played the Fiesta Bowl against uh, Ohio State, tore his ACL. He was the clear-cut number one draft pick, and then the Cowboys took him in the second round. He lost out on millions of dollars for getting hurt in the Fiesta Bowl. So this is that same scenario. Chase Young is that type of player. Maybe he shouldn't play another snap because he will be the number one draft pick. So let's move on to uh, the biggest game of maybe the season, but certainly of the week, LSU and Alabama. And uh, yeah, still piggybacking off of Clay Travis. Check out his stuff on outkick.com. But he, he I, I'm not going to go through all of these, but it, his article is, if you uh, are an Alabama fan, I'll give you 15 reasons why to hate LSU. Here's just one of them. LSU players smoke synthetic weed. Smoking synthetic weed is like having sex with a blow-up doll, which is not surprisingly uh, in the second favorite pastime of the LSU fans. Oh, and by the way, the first in DUIs. <laughs> so as we uh, – oh, and LSU fans smell like corn dogs. And he, he goes on, 15 reasons why Alabama fans hate LSU. 
this is a big rivalry. This is going to be a big game. But, uh, I mean, that's synthetic weed, man. Come on, I got to get the real stuff. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I didn't know. I thought you was going to keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, this game is, uh, oh, uh, this game comes down to how healthy Tua really is, right? Because he had that high ankle sprain. He's going to go today. Uh, is he really 100%? Is he not 100%? Is just this some gamesmanship by Nick Saban? It's going to come down to how healthy Tua is. But uh, I still don't think – I don't think uh, Alabama can keep up with LSU. LSU is one of the top uh, scoring teams in the country. I like to rank second in scoring. You know, they score over 30 points a game. And, and Bama's defense this year is not that great. I mean, it really isn't. Uh, I don't know – Bama has the athletes. They're probably the best receiving core in the country, but I just don't know their offense against LSU's defense and LSU's offense against Bama's defense. I just don't think uh, Bama can keep up in this game. I think LSU's going to win. Uh, all right. I said I would, I, I, would, I would leave it there, but this is, this is great. Top 15 reasons why Alabama fans don't like LSU. Number 10, two words. Demarcus Russell. Yes, I know, even though Andre Smith, pedendulous man boobs think Demarcus Russell also resembles a fat woman with herpes at Mardi Gras. In fact, the crowd outside the BCS title game there, a 99% chance that Demarcus Russell is flushing, flashing his boobs for beads on Bourbon Street. <laughs> yeah, didn't Demarcus Russell win the Heisman, though? Yeah. Was it 05, 06? I mean, he did nothing in the NFL, got drafted by the Raiders, and then never heard from him again. I don't even think he'll last of the season. But I think he won the Heisman. I think he did. I think you're right. Well, let's have a serious discussion about one of the biggest games of the week, the X's and the O's and the, uh, on both sides of the fence. If you're LSU, you got to beat Alabama. you got to make that statement. you got to beat Alabama. But Alabama come in healthy. It's going to be hard. Uh, for LSU. So what are some of the challenges on both sides of the coin here? Again, uh, you got a number one and a number two. They don't get there by accident. Well, unless you're Alabama and you just get there, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's what Alabama could do against LSU's defense. Cause LSU plays real defense. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't think Alabama's defense is as good as they have been in the past. This is kind of a down year for their defense. And I just don't think, uh, they don't have much of a running, running game either. It comes down to that great receiving core and how healthy Tua is. I just don't think they can keep pace with LSU. I mean, it's it's going to be body blows all game, but I think LSU is going to pull this one out. I know it's at Alabama, so that makes it tougher on LSU. But LSU has been in big games two or three times this year. This is the first big game, first big test Bama's came across. You know, for once they're not playing a team uh, called uh, Chattanooga State or something, you know, so – I think LSU pulls this one out, and it might even be like a 10-point win because I think LSU is legit. Uh, Their uh, defensive backfield, Grant Delpit, uh, these are NFL draft picks all over the field for LSU's defense. I just don't think Bama has uh, the defense to slow down LSU, and I just don't think they'll keep up with them. Well, let's get into the other big game of the week, and that's uh, uh, Penn State and Minnesota. Uh, Penn State ranked number five, but Minnesota's undefeated. Again, we go back to strength of schedules, but this should be a, a very good game uh, in Minnesota today. 
I hope it's a good game. The only problem is Minnesota has not seen a team yet like Penn State. They haven't seen the size and speed that Penn State's going to bring. I know it's in Minnesota, uh, but Penn State plays in front of over 100,000 people every week, you know, at least when they're at home. So I, I don't think it's really a home field advantage for Minnesota whatsoever. Uh, it's great to see Minnesota 8-0, and P.J. Fleck is a great coach. I just don't think they've seen the athleticism of what Penn State is about – is uh, getting ready to bring into uh, their stadium today. Real quickly, and uh, then we've got to go into some Notre Dame talk before we end this segment. Uh, IU is ranked number four, uh, and in the uh, in the uh, and they're seven and two overall, but number four in the Big Ten. When was the last time we saw that happen? Let's play the home card. IU ranked number four in the Big Ten standings, above Michigan State, mind you. Yeah, yeah, but who they beat? You know, nobody with any type of substance to them. Uh, look, I'm not trying to diss IU, but you can't take them seriously at the same time. I love that they're 7-2. And if you want to talk about Tom Allen, uh, he's actually been mentioned as a candidate for the Florida State job. Uh, I don't see that happening either. But his name is out there. Uh, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even tell you who I think the two top two coaches for uh, the Florida State job are. Yet. I just said they're not named Dion and Urban. But, uh, okay, who are Tom the Allen's top two name has been mentioned out there. Okay. Oh, it's Matt Campbell and uh, Mark Stoops. Well, between those two, everybody knows Mark Stoops is going to get the hire. I just don't know if it's between those two. Yeah, well, I don't know. But why Why would he get the hire? I mean, he's done a good job at, at Kentucky, but Matt Campbell's done a hell of a job at Iowa State. So, uh, you know, there's Chris Kleiman out there, you know, the head coach of uh, Kansas State. He's won Division Two national championships. He just beat Oklahoma two weeks ago at Kansas State. His name's been mentioned. Uh, the fun uh, one Coach Kelly enough. of Notre Dame. Coach Kelly yeah, of Notre that's Dame. Yeah, fun one. They, Brian Kelly, here, here's the good Twitter rumors. Like, Brian Kelly says 10 years at Notre Dame is good enough, goes to Florida State, and Urban Meyer comes into Notre Dame. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that combination happen? <laughs> all right, let's get uh, into the only Notre way Dame. That happens, if Notre Dame, like, pisses away all their morals and, and, and hires Urban Meyer, makes a deal with the devil to bring a national championship. I had to give it that. <laughs> that would go against everything they stand for, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's talk Notre Dame real quickly before we got to wrap this segment up. But Notre Dame on the road against Duke. Man, Notre Dame's got some wins. They got the W in W's in the W column. They they are checking that box off. But my gosh, they've had some ugly wins. Oh yeah, it's. Uh... Man, the mediocre football, I think the play calling needs to change because it's boring and predictable. Uh, they lack some team speed that they've had in the past. They don't have the athletes this year. Uh, Michigan ex- exposed that. You know, uh, you saw it two weeks ago whenever I, we had Terry Beard on, and I just called Michigan a bunch of vaginas for 30 minutes, and then they beat her ass that <laughs> night. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, they lack team speed. They're very predictable. Uh, here's a problem for uh, Notre Dame tonight is uh, they should beat Duke. But, uh, you know, we had to come from behind last week against Virginia Tech and beat them by one point. Uh, well, Duke played Virginia Tech about a month ago and beat them something like 45 to 10. So that, that's the same team we just played. So I think Notre Dame could be in a little bit of trouble tonight if they come out this bland, boring offense and mediocre football like they've been playing the past, past couple of weeks. It's probably going to be a long night for Notre Dame. 
we'll see what happens. You mentioned Michigan. I mean, I mean, maybe we maybe we got to start retracting some of the things we talked about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. But right. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought it? He's off the hot seat. Here we go. Let's see what happens. What happens with him in the postseason? You think? Well, it's going to come down to that Ohio State game. You know, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, that's going to probably drop them nine and three because I don't see them beating Ohio State. That will probably knock them out of a New York Six Bowl. Also, uh, what I would like to see though, even if Notre Dame wins out, finishes ten and two. Maybe a Notre Dame-Michigan rematch in a bowl game. That would be great. Well, joining us now is uh, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast and Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, I, I know you're in No Shave November uh, with us. <laughs> no, wait. Oh, wait, that's right. You're, you're just not going to do any manscaping. That's right. Mo, how are you, sir? <laughs> uh, very bushy here at this point. Oh, y'all missed that conversation last week, man. It was one for the record books. Uh, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Tony, how are you? Good. How you guys doing? Fantastic. We got we can get off of the weeds sometimes. And then uh, Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor. Rick, we're going to jump into some NFL topic. You can jump here and bell if you want. But if you want to join this conversation, I mean, uh, where, where are you at with your manscaping today? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing's getting shaved. I ain't, I haven't shaved my beard in like three months, two months or something like that. So, not going to happen. Uh, doesn't your wife shave your back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's get into this. Uh, we'll continue this conversation real briefly, and we'll get into the NFL talk. But I want to get uh, Mo and and uh, Tony's thoughts on on the whole Chase Young debacle. Uh, stupidity, NCAA sticks their nose where they don't need to stick it. It was a loan, which means to be repaid. Anytime you get a loan, you repay it. He repaid it. Uh, there's no foul here, yet they want to they want to call foul. They want to beat their chest because uh, the courts are now saying it's okay for uh, athletes to make money off their likeness. Make money, not Get a loan and pay it back. Start with you, Tony. What are your thoughts? Chase Young, Ohio State. Yeah. Um, you know, this, like you said, the NCAA not doing what they're supposed to. I mean, I get the rules. I understand it. But uh, I think you have to show some, some common sense, some leniency on some of these things. Um, you know, it was, re- it was reported, you know, four-game suspension. Uh, accepting a loan from a family friend. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to have a family friend be able to help you and you've since repaid it, I don't see the big deal. Um, you know, I wasn't a college athlete, so I've heard stories of where you know, you're eating ramen noodles every night, but I've also heard stories of people getting out, you know, debt-free and having thousands of dollars in their accounts. So um, I think four games is a little bit too much. Uh, I think you need to show some common sense, some leniency on this. And, again, it goes back to the stupid rule, Mo. We'll, we'll get with you on the stupid rule on this. Uh, Ohio State, one of their star players, having some financial problems, all their parents want to do is come out to California and watch them in the Rose Bowl. If, if Ohio State puts them on one of their planes or just puts them on a plane, they're in violation. Or if I'm a, just an alumni, if I'm an Ohio State alumni, I'm a private business, and I get word that, hey, somebody needs some help. I want to do a good deed. Hey, here's some tickets to the game. Here's some tickets to airplane. Uh, but I'm in violation. Even if I do that on my own, I'm then considered a, a, a booster in vi- violation. Mo, at some point, this gets ridiculous. And all it was 
was a loan to help his parents get out. And from a family friend, not even from an agent. So any connections to the team are gone. Uh, It was a loan from a family friend to help him help his parents get out to California so they could watch him in the Rose Bowl. I see nothing wrong here with this, Mo. Well, I mean, while these rules are stupid, they're still, unfortunately, the rules that, you know, in the problem with the NCAA, the reason, even though it was a family friend, who's to say in the NCAA's eyes that the money didn't, even though it came through a family friend, that it didn't come from an agent. You know, a lot of these agents and the things we've had over the past 20, 25 years in the NCAA where families have gotten money, there's usually been a middleman to where it hasn't come, obviously, directly from a shoe company or directly from an agent. So I think that's where the NCAA has an issue. You know, like, I hate my next-door neighbor and would like to kill him, but unfortunately, it's still against the rules. So I would be in trouble if I did that. As dumb as these rules are by the NCAA and as inept as they've been for years, uh, you know, it, it seems like all of a sudden, ever since this whole uh, thing with the athletes, uh, courts ruling the athletes can maybe start getting paid off their likeness, the NCAA uh, acts like they give a damn and they want to uh, catch up on rules. You know, it, it's been, what, seven or eight years ago that newspaper reporters had to hand NCAA cases on investigations that they had no clue were going on. So uh, the NCAA has been in that for years, and these rules are dumb. But uh, unfortunately, you know, he, uh, he, he broke them, and it looks like it's going to be a four-game suspension. Now, uh, my rate station obviously covers the Buckeyes here in Ohio and I am the one Buckeye hater on the staff so for me I find it phenomenal phenomenal well and, and I'm curious on how that's going to affect the postseason and we'll, we'll see how that goes but it just again we've getting to the point of ridiculousness now I, this whole the all these shoe deals and stuff that have been going down I don't necessarily agree with but however if it was legal uh and or we use legal in a loose term here if it wasn't against the rules uh for players to make money in their likeness that would have never been an issue uh, so it will continue on with this saga all right guys get into the nfl talk the eagles are on a bye uh so uh so is ed kratz beat right the philadelphia eagles our official nfl contributor so it's just us uh so we'll start with the homer card with uh, me and Tony and the Colts, disappointing loss on the road in Pittsburgh. And I mean disappointing. If I hear one more person blame this on Vinny, I'm going to scream. You go from one week giving him the AFC uh, Special Teams Player of the Week, uh, then the next week saying he's got to go. First of all, Sanchez laces out. Let's, let's, let's do that. Second of all, uh, he dug down into the ground a little bit because he was trying to miss the laces. Third of all, there's all kinds of a bazillion reasons how we got into that position to begin with. We shouldn't have lost that game, but it's not Vinny's fault. Disappointing loss, but I think we can make, make face against the Dolphins. But there again, the Dolphins did win their first one last week. We like we, On paper, we think this is this is one that we're okay with Brian Hoyer being the quarterback on him. We're okay. But, I mean, it's games like this that if you, if you get too loose, it, you, can, you, can, you can spiral out of control very fast. Tony Donahue, the Dolphins, the Steelers, the Colts, what say you? Well, first of all, I have to disagree with you because Adam Vinatieri did cost him that game. It's like he cost him the game uh, against the Chargers early in the season. And he can do well kicking indoors, but he's missed 10 field goals this season. And, um, yeah, the laces maybe screwed him up, but you can still bury that ball in there. Uh, he kicked the ground first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Vinatieri apologists out there, but, but those that straw's kind of running short. Uh, it, it is what it is. You, you, you can't look at what he's done this year and say this is acceptable. If he had, if his last name was Smith, he would have already been cut for somebody else. You know, there's not a lot of free agents out there. Uh, but I think that uh, we're at the point now of Vinatieri where, you know, he's cost him two games. And instead of being five and three, 
they could be seven and one just as easy. Jacoby Brissett's played well. Um, they've played through injuries. We know Paris Campbell's been hurt. The defense has been has been decimated by injuries. Uh, T.Y. Hilton's going to miss this weekend. Um, but like you mentioned, Tom, uh, it couldn't be a better time to to meet the Dolphins coming off a loss, possibly not having Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer in there. They won't have T.Y. Hilton. They won't have Paris Campbell. Darius Leonard's banged up. You fortunately get a crappy Dolphins team. Uh, I think the Colts do get it done, uh, but they're going to have to get healthy uh, moving forward here if they're going to want to compete in the AFC South. And they they already have the upper hand with one win already over the Houston Texans. Uh, they're going to have to do that again. Uh, I don't really have any doubt that the Titans and Jaguars are done for. They're they're dead in the water when it comes to the AFC South. But the Colts are going to have to stay faced because Houston's one of the toughest teams in the league right now. Uh, and if you look at the schedule the rest of the way out, um, you know for the Colts. Yeah, they get the Dolphins this weekend, uh, but the schedule doesn't really do them a lot of favors. You get the Jaguars here, that should be a win. But then you got to go to the Texans, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Carolina's kind of caught fire a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. Um, so we'll see what the Colts can do. They should be seven and one. They're five and three, but uh, I, I can guarantee you this: they won't say this in the locker room. Uh, but they're certainly happy to see the Dolphins coming to town this weekend. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right, and, and we'll see what happens. And, and it's unfortunate that we see the end of a career with Adam Vinatieri, a Hall of Fame guy and a stand-up guy and certainly one of the best players to ever play the game in his his position, and it's unfortunate that we're seeing him go through these struggles. I think we are seeing the signs, uh, the end times for Adam Vinatieri, and and uh, you're right, if his name was Smith, he, he would have been cut by now. But it, it's just a lot of times it's, it's real easy just to blame the most obvious thing in front of our face. And I think there was a lot of, a lot of issues there. But speaking of issues, uh, uh, Mo, uh, your Cleveland Browns, I know that your, your, your station covers the Cleveland Browns. The old saying is throw everything out but the kitchen sink. But I think with the Browns, they just need to throw out the kitchen sink. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I mean, it's uh, Freddie Kitchens, let's be honest, is coaching for his job. He looks clueless in a lot of situations out there. Um, it, it's, there's starting to, there's been tension in the locker room. I talked to you about it a little bit last week. Uh, there's some tension between uh, the head coach and the wide receiving core. Uh, Odell Beckham last week uh, obviously started to complain a little bit on the sidelines, as it was reported. Uh, had uh, uh, somewhat of a uh, – snarky type attitude in practice a couple of days this week. Uh, it's a mess in Cleveland. The defense hasn't lived up to what it's supposed to be. Just like the Colts, they've been decimated in the secondary. Uh, no Olivier Vernon this week as well. So it's going to be another tough week for the Browns. Uh, you know, it, everything that they did last year that was such a, a big success for them, getting the ball out quick. And they just they don't do that this year. And, and their best player, Nick Chubb, has been widely reported, uh, you know, numerous times this week, was not on the on the field for two of the biggest plays of the game last week. So uh, I think Freddie Kitchens is in over his head, and uh, should things not turn around as they have a very easy schedule moving forward, uh, this will be Freddie Kitchens' one and only year as that coach of the Cleveland Browns. Which is very odd for a team to do a one and out, and they, I guess they thought they had it figured out, but this is clearly – is not working. Let's. Uh, I know you cover the Bears. You do a dual coverage because of where you're located geographically in the world. Um, but if you're a Bears fan, if you're the Bears, you've got to be looking past this Mitchell Trubisky experiment. I, I think that ship has sailed and gone. Well, you know, it's funny. I took calls all week long on the show from Bears fans who were – just so down on, on the Bears' management because, you know, you look at that draft, they trade up to get Mitchell Trubisky, 
And then with the Trey Coyle Mac, they don't even have a first round pick. But, you know, look at the two guys that they uh, overlooked in Deshaun Watson uh, and Patrick Mahomes. And uh, you, you trade up to draft Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, it, it's it's very possible, much like Marcus Mariota, that uh, his only chance to get on the field might be as a wide receiver uh, the rest of the year. So, uh, the coach has been uh, mum all week. Uh, you know who's going to start the football game? Will it be Chase Daniel? Will it be Mitchell Trubisky? There is uh, it, it's starting to become divided a little bit in the locker room, which is you never want to see happen when it comes down to a quarterback controversy. Uh, but you know, at some point you have to look at when when these guys start to regress. So you're seeing Mitchell Trubisky in year three start to regress. We expect it sometimes in year two. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, uh, it happen now in year three. But I think a lot of it last year is is we didn't count on Trubisky for a bunch of big things because the defense was so good last year. And the defense, remember, the defense of the Chicago Bears scored a ton of points last year off of turnovers. So and that's not happening this year. And so I think more of these weaknesses of Trubisky have come to light. Uh, you're right. At some point they have to decide what they're going to do. Now, without a number one pick, uh, you know, you're not going to jump there and, and draft a, a guy like Tua. So you've got to look, I think, this year to free agency. And are they going to be looking to a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, uh, you know, who the Saints obviously definitely want to keep. Uh, but, uh, you know, that could be a possibility. Philip Rivers uh, is going to be on the market. Will, uh, will, is there a chance that they could pry him away? Uh, the most likely scenario will be that uh, your quarterback of the Chicago Bears next year is probably a guy like Andy Dalton. Uh, so the Bears are going to have to bridge that gap until they have a uh, another number one pick to try to draft a, a new quarterback. And we'll certainly see what happens. Uh, it's too late for them to tank for Tua. But, <laughs> uh, Tony, let's let's talk about Thursday's game. I mean, I, uh, John Gruden has been the, the pun of jokes on this show for years. And uh, But, man, when, when he got the contract, we, we were joke, joke, joke. But who's laughing now? I mean, uh, John Gruden and the Raiders are the real deal. They got him a, a good win uh, at home against – the future London uh, Chargers, <laughs> there was that rumor this week, uh, which the Chargers squashed, but uh, then maybe there's some truth to that, but I don't know. I, yeah, on the sidebar of that, I, I, I'm just one of those, maybe I'm just American, get off my lawn, I'm American, this is my sport. I, I just, it just seems like a big, complicated mess to move a team already in existence to London. Now, to, to have a team develop in London and start there as an expansion team, I can see that a little bit better. Uh, but two big stories there. Raiders, John Gruden uh, is putting together a, a season here. And the rumor mill, again, is, is my favorite thing to say. It gives us content on the show, and that's the Chargers going to London. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you, you know, you start with Thursday night's game, and, and what is the AFC West? I mean, Kansas City, yeah, we know that they're good, but they've obviously been without Patrick Mahomes. He's going to come back tomorrow. Oakland uh, has been an up-and-down team, and they're almost a different team each week. They put together two straight weeks. They played well against the Texans in a loss. We got blown out to the Packers a few weeks ago. Derek Carr finally finding his strength and finding his rhythm this year. If you think about the Chargers, I mean, who are they? We we, we don't know who they are. We, are they the team that looks so good against the Packers, edged out a win over the over the chart or over the Bears two weeks ago, um, and then they go in and they lose? I mean, they've lost some pretty close games after beating the Colts. Uh, but man, I, I just I don't know exactly who the Chargers are right now. I'm not exactly sure how the Raiders are. Uh, you look at the standings right now, and, and the AFC West, and you say, okay, Kansas City. You know, six and three, okay. But if they have one more slip up, 
and Oakland wins another game, all of a sudden they're both six and four, and Oakland's got a chance to do something in this division. My problem with Kansas City is they're just two and three at home. They're four and zero on the road, uh, while Oakland plays very well at home. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that Oakland, the Raiders, about to move to Vegas. Will they move the Chargers to uh, to London? I don't know. I don't know if uh, Philip Rivers would be able to to afford to live over there with fourteen kids. Uh, but it's certainly in the works, isn't it? Well, he certainly makes enough money that uh, on the American side, we'll we'll see uh, how how that uh, translates into poundage. Uh, but uh, let's walk around Lake Mobile. We'll start with with you. I mean, if you're one to believe in superstition and Halloween stuff and all that stuff, Black Cat crosses the field. The Giants had the the, the game against the Cowboys uh, seemed to be in firm control, and the Black Cat incident happened. Which, by the way. If you get a chance to YouTube the Westwood One audio of that and the play-by-play, and he's in the end zone, and he's tackled by some state troopers in the end zone. He's all confused. It was great. Uh, but, the, I mean, the, the tale of two cities after that, that cat story, it's funny to talk about, but you look at the New York Giants, and now they're on the road against the Jets who have seen their share of black cats this year as well. Yeah, you know, uh, every time I listen to Kevin Harlan call a game, I always pray for somebody to go on the field. You know, we heard him a couple of years ago when the drunk guy jumped on the field yeah. as well. So every time I listen to Kevin Harlan call a game, I'm praying that somebody gets on the field. Uh, you know, the the Jets and the Giants are both terrible. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones, I, I think that he is going to be a, a decent NFL quarterback. Uh, you know, they're just – he doesn't have enough talent around him, which is, you know, a uh, story for a lot of guys when they first come into a lead to a bad team. There are just not enough players around them. Uh, the Giants, uh, you know, I, I think in the next couple of years, should they pass correctly, can be another top team again. Uh, the Jets, for me, the Adam Gase experiment's over. How can you take a guy like Sam Darnold when you're supposed to be this great, uh, you know, offensive genius and quarterback genius and your quarterback is regressing and regressing at a rapid rate? So, uh, for me, if I'm the Jets, I'm bouncing Adam Gase after one season as well. Let's move on uh, over to the lousy Falcons against the Saints. I mean, who would have thought that they were able to put together a relatively decent season without Drew Brees? Uh, Tony, uh, what are your thoughts on this game uh, as far as the Falcons on the road against the Saints? I I think, again, on paper, this looks like an easy win at home for the Saints. Yeah, and we were talking about, you know, possible replacements for Mitch Trubisky at the quarterback position. I think Teddy Bridgewater, uh, along with Andy Dalton, will be in that conversation um, I like the Saints. They just seem to fire on all cylinders, even with when Drew Brees was out. Um, I think the more surprising thing here is not that the Saints are seven and one; it's what is Atlanta at one and seven. I mean, this is a team that was once they were up twenty-eight to three in the in the Super Bowl. That's the last thing that went right for the Falcons. I mean, you think about the blowouts to the Rams; they lose to the Seahawks; they get edged out by the Cardinals; the Texans drop fifty on them; uh, Colts beat them here; uh, they get blown out. In Minnesota, um, I like the Saints. I like the Saints to make a deep run in the NFC. And then when you look right now, and I think you guys would agree with me on this, you guys could talk about it. I mean, in the NFC, okay, the Packers, you think, okay, yeah, we like the Packers, but man, they didn't look good last week on the road. The only team that's consistently looking good, I think, right now in the NFC is the New Orleans Saints and the Seahawks and 49ers are good teams. And I know the 49ers are eight. No, but I'm I, maybe it's just me. I'm just waiting for the Niners to either choke or to lose the consecutive games. Uh, I know that the Saints are proven. I know the Saints can do it. 
I know I believe in that quarterback. I believe in that system. And we're going to see here next month when the Saints play the 49ers, if the 49ers are the real deal. 49ers are certainly going to get a, uh, a good test of their own medicine to see how good they are because they're going to get the Seahawks this weekend and they get the Packers in two weeks, followed by the Ravens and Saints. Let's talk a little bit about some of the stories that are going on in the NFC. I mean, NFC and NFC MO. We're, we're midway through the season here. We're halfway through. Uh, teams are starting to take shape. We're still in the hunt for the uh, AFC uh, uh, playoff and even even and the AFC championship. What, how great would that be? Titans are out of the picture. Uh, we just heard uh, Tony talk about uh, the Saints. But, you know, the Cowboys are starting to put some stuff together as, as well against San Francisco. Uh, you look at the AFC. I mean, I still think, unfortunately, I hate to say this, I don't see a team better defensively uh, than, than the New England Patriots. And, you know, a lot of people are still saying that the AFC belongs to Kansas City and and uh, the New England Patriots. So, uh, midway uh, hat report card. What say you on the NFL, Mo? I feel like each week this season so far, I know I know less as the season goes on more because you look at a team last week like the Ravens who beat the Patriots in their first loss. They're a team that was blown out, you know, four weeks back by the Browns. And they were just manhandled by the Browns. So, you know, each and every week I start to feel like I know less and less about teams. Yeah, I like Kansas City, but will they continue to be able to outscore uh, everybody like they've had to, uh, you know, since uh, Patrick Mahomes took over because the defense tends to falter? Um, you know, it's uh, the Ravens. Uh, who are they? You know, what are they each week? I like their football team. I like what they do. Uh, I like Lamar Jackson. You know, Lamar Jackson, the only thing he's done is made a lot of uh, scouts and critics and their teams look stupid uh, because he was a guy that most people thought would have to be a wide receiver to be in this league. So he's fun to watch. Uh, you know, and, and like Tony said, I, I'm waiting for San Francisco to have a bad game defensively and, and drop a couple games in a row. Then, then we wonder what the, what the hell's going on with them. I think Tony hit the nail on the head. The team that I have the most trust in right now in the NFL overall, I think of the New Orleans Saints. I know each and every week what I'm going to get from them. And, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with more with what Tony said. I love the Saints right now. Tony, who we got in the AFC? Are we still on the on the uh, Patriots bandwagon? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Mahomes is back with Kansas City tomorrow. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of players in the hunt, but are we still talking uh, the the Chiefs and the Patriots uh, in the AFC championship game? Yeah, I think right now we are. We'll see how. Patrick Mahomes comes back and how long it takes for him to get into uh, a rhythm uh, after coming off of this injury. You know, like we said, though, they don't have a lot of room to to move because the Raiders are all of a sudden knocking on the back door and, and one loss by the Chiefs uh, and another win by the Raiders, and they're, and they're, they're tied atop the division standings. Um, but, yeah, as of right now, I would say Chiefs and New England, and I think New England's going to have home field advantage, as we know. And they're going to end up probably going back to the Super Bowl, which I know sucks for, what, 99%. Unless you live in the New England area or you're a bandwagoner, uh, you don't like that. Uh, but, but, but we're going to see. I think New England's got a couple couple tests coming up. Uh, I, I do like the Ravens after they knocked them off. But uh, you look at the schedules, the Ravens sitting at 6-2, and two, they got to play the Texans, the Rams, and the 49ers three out of the next four weeks. So we're really going to learn a lot about the Ravens. You look at New England's schedule, however, and you just think, like, man, there's how do they, how would they not end up with with home field advantage? Yeah, I get it. The Bills are can be tough, but they get New England gets Philadelphia on the road. Philadelphia is not 
as great as we thought they would. They get the Cowboys at home, and they get that game against the Texans, I think, is winnable. They beat the Chiefs. Uh, it may come down to that game on, on, on the 8th of December when they play the, the Chiefs, but they get that one at home. I like the Patriots to end up having home field advantage and more than likely, unfortunately, going back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I was seeing this tweet here. So I was just kind of glancing through these here to make sure I covered everything. And one thing I did miss with uh, Yumo and the Bears, uh, Ian uh, Rappaport on Twitter says the Bears are waving running back Mike Davis, one of their free agent signings in the past spring. Sources said that they gave him $6 million over two years, but cut him after just 11 carries in part because of how it helps them get a, a comp pick, if you will. He'll be an attractive player on the waiver wire. Thoughts? Well, you know, this was something that looked like it was coming. They, they've waited for David Montgomery to kind of hit his stride, which he finally had a breakout game last week. You know, overall, the Bears, I think, made a mistake when they let go of Jordan Howard. They didn't use him as much last year. You know, and that running attack for the Bears has suffered. We know Tariq Cohen hasn't been the same player this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it, it, they just waited for they waited for Montgomery to really have his breakout. And they feel, I think they felt like last week now, they could uh, they could let go of Davis and, and you know wait for the compensatory compensatory pick, but you know it's you guys were talking about New England, and as much as I hate the Patriots and hate them go to the Super Bowl every year, I decided this year I think a little bit more to try to appreciate seeing what we're seeing because I don't think we're going to see it again from a quarterback. So as much as I despise the Patriots and wish bad things upon them every night before I go to bed, I think I'm going to try to sit back and enjoy what could be the final ride for the Patriots. And, you know, very rarely in sports and in, in your lifetime do you get to see, uh, you know, dynasties like this. So as much as we hate it, maybe this year it'll be time to appreciate it one last time and hope this is finally it for the New England Patriots. I hope so, but gosh, darn it, don't we say that every single year. Hey, real quick, you guys got just a couple minutes – just a couple minutes left here. I want to get your thoughts on this big SEC matchup, probably the biggest game of the week, LSU and Bama, number one and two. Of course, if Chase Young had played for LSU or Alabama, we would have never had this story to talk about. But that's here there. Hey, oh. <laughs> Alabama and LSU, big matchup. Uh, certainly uh, one for the record books, and uh, it's the president's going to be there. I mean, this is this is Eddie Murphy's big. Uh, the president's on TV. I know that's a little bit outdated you tony so i apologize for that that's an old man joke there used to be a a bit on that uh eddie murphy did you have to google uh youtube it but the president's on tv the president's on tv anyway i digress uh tony what are your thoughts alabama and lsu yeah and i'll be interested to hear you guys thoughts as well um you know you never want to lose a college football game but it seems to me when you got a team ranked second and third, if you're LSU and you lose this game to move to eight and one, you're only going to slide to what fifth in the rankings. And then you could win out because you get Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. So all of a sudden, you're sitting there at ten and one, but you don't have to go play in the SEC championship game. Alabama, if they win this game, they more than likely went out unless they lose at Auburn, which is possible the last game of the year. But let's just say LSU loses today. Alabama wins out. Alabama would go to the SEC title game to take on uh, what looks to be Georgia. If Georgia wins that game, then LSU sitting there on conference championship weekend, resting, watching a game, and not playing, and can find themselves backdooring themselves into the college football playoffs. So uh, you obviously want to win every game. I think Alabama will win today. 
But losing today is not the end-all, be-all for LSU. Uh, it could work out for them in the long run. We've seen it happen before. You know, you make some very valid points there, but I just think a lot of people just – but you're right. If you're LSU with and what, what's ahead of them, that makes very good sense. And of course, they're not going to purposely lose, but it's not going to kill them if they lose. But to have that win against Alabama on your resume always looks good. Mo, what are your thoughts? Well, if you look at the teams, nobody who is a top four team has got a tougher schedule than LSU. You know, they're a team that uh, has, has, has conquered every big game so far this year. You know, I agree with Tony that, you know, a loss to LSU, I, I don't think even slides them out of the top four. But, uh, you know, they not having to play in the SEC championship game. That's the only thing that bothers me, though. If you can't if you can't win your conference, I don't think you should play for a national championship. But it's the way the rules are. So uh, LSU could have an easier path to a national championship than Alabama. But, you know, it, it, when you look at big games so far this year, LSU has come out and performed in every single one of them, and they've had a lot more than Alabama's had. I'm going against the green. I'm taking LSU to win this game today. Uh, Coach O has done well in big games this year, and I'm going to – think that he does well again today. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and think it's the LSU Tigers. And not only that, guys, but, uh, you know, this could decide, could decide the uh, Heisman race as well today. Oh, you're absolutely right about that, 100% for sure. And it, it surprises me how we have this conversation every year, how one game makes the determination on whether or not you're going to be a Heisman winner. But you're absolutely, absolutely right. That's another conversation, another debate for another show. Real quickly, guys, we've got to wrap it up, put a bow on it. But thumbs up, thumbs down, vote. We're going to go with the Homer card today. Thumbs up or thumbs down, Jacoby Brissett is trending. As long as he can get healthy, get back in the game, is trending to be the most improved player in the NFL in 2019. Uh, Tony? I mean, yeah, I would think so. I mean, there's there's obviously a high price tag on him when, when they got him from the Patriots, and I know the Colts have been offered second-round draft picks for him, so they've been high on this guy. Um, I, I, I certainly think he's proven that he can be a starting quarterback in this league. Um, do I think he's a top-10 quarterback in this league? No, but I think he's in that next tier, 12 to 15. I think he's very uh, reliable. Um, but I would expect tomorrow maybe – have him in the back of emergency room. Just start Brian Hoyer against the crappy Dolphins team. Pick up a victory. Doesn't care. I don't care how ugly it is. Just score one more point to the Dolphins, which may only be one touchdown. That's all you might have to do. Uh, but, yeah, I certainly think Jacoby Brissett has a chance to be a uh, most improved player this year in the NFL. All right, thumbs up. Uh, Mo, uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Jacoby Brissett trying to be the most improved quarterback in the NFL in 2019. I think if you do it against his uh, two years ago when he played, for sure. But can you give a guy the most improved player when he didn't play the year before? That's my only thought. Uh, yeah. Do you do you give it to a guy who didn't play? I'll tell you the guy I like so far this year. I think to be the most improved player, uh, and it usually doesn't happen for a defensive guy. But I like Micah Fitzpatrick a lot. You know, granted he played on a crappy Jets team, but uh, you know that guy has. And we saw last week even that guy has been a a game changer for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I like Micah Fitzpatrick so far as, as the most improved player. What Jacoby Brissett's done is, is phenomenal. What Chris Ballard did before the uh, before the season started by signing him to a deal, so he's not going to have to pay a premium after the season's over if Jacoby performed like he has so far. So uh, I, I like Jacoby Brissett. I, I would like to see him be the most improved player. But when you're when you're voting on that type of thing and the guy didn't play the year before, I, I don't know how you give it to him, but. I mean, if you if you look at what he's done compared to what he did the last time he started, I, I like Jacoby a lot. I couldn't be happier with where the Colts sit right now at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, if we got to if we got to lose a quarterback, uh, you know, Brian Hoyer is not the worst solution. I think he did great, even though he had a couple mishaps. So I'm, I'm going to go with thumbs up on that as well. Well, guys, we got to we got to go and call it a day. Tony Donahue from the Tony D Podcast. Where can people find some work from masterpieces, sir? Yeah, just uh, Tony D Indy on Twitter. Check it out. Uh, my podcast, the Tony D Podcast, on iTunes and Spotify. All right, Tony, have yourself a good weekend. We'll talk with you soon. See you guys too. See you guys. See you, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. Mo, it's to be a sports show. I know you're on every uh, bathroom stall in every strip club in Fort Wayne. But other than that, where can people find your work and masterpieces, sir? Well, I, I have I have uh, ceased putting out masterpieces, so now I just follow Rick on Twitter. That's what I do. So I go. Hey, Rick, under, Rick underscore Rick, and that's where I that's where I get my news. So don't follow yeah. me. Follow Rick. There you go. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend. All right, guys. You too. All right, guys. We got to wrap it up. Say goodbye. Another great show in the books in the can. Thank you so much to Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, uh, for breaking down this breaking news, probably one of the biggest news stories uh, of the week and certainly of decades, and that's Roger Pinsky and Pinsky Entertainment uh, buying uh, uh, IndyCar, IndyCar Productions and the granddaddy of them all, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, breaking down the uh, NASCAR playoffs as we get ready uh, for Phoenix today and then Homestead next week. Rick Riggin of our official college football contributor breaking down this big story with Chase Young, Florida State coach, obviously Notre Dame, uh, LSU and Bama. And, of course, in the last segment, Tony D of Tony, Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast and Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. My name is Sean Mark. It's been a pleasure. Remember to follow us on social media. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11. Thank you to our uh, – uh, facilitators of blog talk radio make sure you catch the podcast on apple tunes and tune in and stitcher anywhere you find your podcast my name is tom marquis don't drink and drive i'm out of here deuces Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.